Welcome to the Podcast of the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blalock entitled Regeneration from our series, A Spirit-Filled Summer. If you have your Bible, I'm in 1 John, the third chapter. We're continuing our series called A Spirit-Filled Summer, amen? 1 John chapter 3 is where we'll be looking today. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I don't, I'm not experiencing a lot of victory in my life today. I definitely need someone to introduce me to that. Well, I would love to. Let's turn to 1 John 3 and talk about how you and I can walk in victory as God's people today. The Spirit-Filled life is a victorious life, Amen. Amen. It's a life of victory. And today, if we're not experiencing victory over the strongholds and the sins of our past, we're living beneath our privileges as the people of God because we can. We can. Amen. 1 John chapter 3 will be our text today. Last Sunday, we talked about having our roots in the river and the fact that Jesus offers living water. And if we will come to him and drink, he can satisfy our hearts. We can have the kinds of lives that are overflowing with the Holy Spirit's presence and power if we are desirous of that. Amen. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be tracing what does the Spirit of God do in the life of the believer. Amen. What does that kind of life look like? So if you have your Bible, 1 John 3 will be our text. The Bible tells us that a new life begins with a new birth. Amen? A new birth. And if we've really experienced that new birth, it will lead to a new quality of living. If we've been born again with new hearts and a new nature, then we will have a radically different quality of life than we had before we met the Lord Jesus. And the Bible word for that new birth that leads to new life is the word regeneration. Say it with me. Regeneration. That's a big word. The Bible gives us this new life by the Holy Spirit's power whenever we trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And the marks of that are beautiful. Look at 1 John chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. We'll look at the first 10 verses this morning. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. The little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil is sin from the beginning." For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask you today, meet us here who've gathered around your word. Lord, the book is open. Your people are gathered. Your spirit is present. Breathe on us and let us grow by the hearing of it. Anoint me to preach it and bless our hearts to receive it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 
Amen. A new life begins with a new birth. And so let's talk about that new birth today. Number one, let's talk about its meaning. Say the meaning. The meaning of a new birth. What does it mean to be born again? What does that phrase mean for us? Well, it comes from John chapter 3. Amen. John 3, verses 3 to 5, it comes from a conversation Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. A man who should have known lots about the kingdom of God, but really knew rather little. He was an elder, a leader in Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin, part of the ruling class of the nation of Israel. And yet he comes to Jesus at night because he is restless and doesn't have peace in his heart that things are right between his soul and God. And Jesus says these words to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so the Bible gives us this idea that there's a problem spiritually that all of us have. And that is, spiritually speaking, we are born in sin. And very soon, we're born with this tendency to follow Adam's bad example. We're born with a spiritual birth defect that gravitates toward what's wrong rather than what is right. You had to teach children to do right. Nobody had to teach their children to do wrong. Amen? That's original sin. And if you don't believe that your child is a sinner, wait until they're three, invite their best friend over, and put one cookie between two three-year-olds and you will have an object lesson on original sin. Amen. You will see that that cute little Johnny that you know and love, amen, is fallen from the word go. Amen. He is lost and needs a Savior. Amen. Amen. And sooner or later, he'll have to get old enough to understand that, and he'll have to receive Jesus Christ as Savior from sin. Amen. He'll have to trust in the Lord and be converted, like all of us did. Amen. We must be born again. Say born again. This is the picture. You, we're spiritually dead in sin. And, and as a result, we must trust Christ as Savior. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, when we trust Jesus, this is what happens. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead in our sin and Jesus gave us new life by trusting in him. Amen. Colossians chapter 3 says that we have to put off the old man with his deeds and put on the new man. That's the new birth. We put on a new man. We become a new being, a new creation in Christ. When we trust Jesus, we are regenerated. Say regenerated. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us, making us alive in Christ, giving us a new heart with a new set of desires to please God. You know that one of the ways you know you're born again is your desires change. Amen? Years ago, I heard a preacher say, I drank all the whiskey I wanted to this week. I didn't want any, and I didn't drink any. Amen? Why? He said, because my want to got saved. <laughs> you know you've been born again when your want to gets saved. When a new desire comes on the inside of you and now instead of desires to please yourself and live the way of the world and fulfill the lust of your flesh, you now have a new set of desires that take up residence in your heart and you desire to please God and serve Him and honor Him and obey Him. When we have a newfound desire to honor God, that is one of the marks of being born again. 
The Bible says in first, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. The Holy Spirit is the agent of this new birth. When we trust in Christ, we are born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus said, right? He said, you must be born of the Spirit or you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We're born of the Spirit. He's the agent of that new birth. Not only that, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit whenever we trust in Christ. The day that you trusted Jesus as Savior and gave Him your heart, the day that you believed on Christ as Lord and Master, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came, marked you as belonging to God, and sealed you for the day of redemption. Amen. Now, I know in Pentecost. There's often confusion about the work of the Holy Spirit and how that fits together. Well, by the Lord's grace, I want us to get it right. I want us to understand it clearly. And so for the next three weeks, well, four, because Father's Day is in the middle. We'll take a different route there. But for the month of June, I want us to unpack and understand what we mean, what the Holy Spirit does in each of these separate experiences. I grew up around some Christians who didn't believe that you had the Holy Spirit at all in any way until you were baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I don't believe the Bible says that. (laughs) Call the overseer, he doesn't either. Amen. That's not Church of God doctrine. We believe that every person who believes on Jesus, amen, has the Holy Spirit active and living in their life. The Bible says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. So every Christian has the Holy Spirit, amen? Amen. The Bible says you were sealed by the Holy Spirit the day that you trusted Jesus. Now being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, that is a different experience. And we'll talk about that in a a couple weeks as well. But for today, I want us to get this right. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit has already been active in your life. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicted you of sin and showed you you needed to get saved. When the Spirit comes, He'll convict of sin, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit is the one who created faith in your heart when you heard the gospel and woke up your dead heart so you could believe on Jesus to begin with. Amen. And when you trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit sealed you for the day of redemption. Where do you get that? Ephesians chapter 1. The Bible tells verse 13 and 14. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed... You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. When did you get sealed with the Holy Spirit? When you believed. When you believed. Do you see it? Amen. Do you believe it? Amen. Five of you believe it. Good. We're making progress. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you trusted Christ. That's what the Bible says. Having believed, you were sealed. Amen. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, we, that, this is the reality. The reason that we invite you to press on and receive deeper experiences with the Holy Spirit, like a surrendered heart that is sanctified, or the fullness of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, the reason we can do that is calling you into a deeper encounter with the God that you already know and you've already tasted of. 
Amen. It's not some weird or strange thing to invite a Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a very natural thing to invite a Christian to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Relationships ought to move on and deepen if they're good relationships. Amen. I used to pick Shay up on Friday night and we'd go out to a movie and dinner. Amen. Some of you don't believe in movies. That's okay. You watch yours at home. We watched ours on a little bit bigger screen. That's all. Amen. Amen. It's okay. And we would go out to eat, but you know, I got tired of dropping her off at night. And I thought I would love for this relationship to deepen. So I put a ring on her finger and I married her. And now we don't have to drop each other off at the end of the evening. Amen. We get to have a a, a life that is built together. The relationship got deeper. Say deeper. If you're a Christian, you've already met the Holy Spirit. He's already part of your life. He has sealed you. You were born by his power and agency. If I invite you into a deeper experience with him, I'm just asking you to deepen the relationship. Amen? Stop dating the Holy Ghost and get filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Stop playing around the edges. We talked about that river of God last week. Amen. I'm saying it's time to move from ankle deep water and get out over your head where you can swim. Amen. Amen. A lot of Christians, they splash around ankle deep their whole experience. Oh, in the water good. (laughs) Get out of the kiddie pool. Let God fill you with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. It's better the further out you go. Come on out into the deep water. Amen? We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. But if you're a believer, you already know the Holy Spirit. Uh, In fact, I would argue that to some degree, receiving a deeper empowering of the Holy Spirit is not really so much about getting more of God as it is giving God more of us. Jill Briscoe said the night that she was converted, her pastor's wife came to her and said, Jill, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and you've got all of God that you're ever going to get. But the goal now is to give God more of you. And the more of you surrender, the more of you that you surrender to God, the more of you He will possess and fill. And the goal of the Christian life is to surrender all of you to God so He can fill every part of you with His Spirit, and then He can manifest and live the life of Jesus in you and through you, and He can do a work for God. Amen? That's the goal. And so however you want to describe it, the reality is this. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in there. He's active and working. And I want to urge you this summer, if you've not done it before, open your heart. Go deeper. Surrender more fully to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Allow Him to fill you. Allow Him to blow you. There's nothing like that experience. And you can walk and live in that reality every day of your life. And it brings victory and joy. Amen? Amen. Well, let's back to where we are today before I preach my whole series this morning. Amen? Amen. So it all starts with being born of the Spirit. Say born of the Spirit. A new life with a new set of desires, a new heart. That is, that is what the meaning of the new birth is. Well, let's look at the marks of the new birth. If you've been born again, there ought to be some signs of new life in your life. Amen? Whenever you go to the doctor, they check your vital signs, right? They check your pulse and your blood pressure and your heart rate and your temperature. And you ought to have all those things if you're alive. Amen? Amen. I, I had someone, whenever, uh, whenever I was a chaplain, we had someone call the nurse one day and said, I need you to send the nurse out here right now. I think my heart has stopped beating. 
Amen. The nurse said, I can assure you that has not happened. Amen. Amen. That has not happened. You would not be calling me. Somebody else would be calling me, right? Amen. What are the signs of life? What are the marks that we've been born again? Well, we read them this morning in 1 John 3. John gives us three big ones that I want to move in a hurry. Number one, likeness to God. Say that with me. Likeness to God. I love it. We sang it this morning, didn't we? Take me in your arms. Take me to that place where you can make me like you. That's it, isn't it? Likeness to God, that is one of the signs of life. It's one of the marks that we've been born again, that we are like God. We're growing in likeness to Jesus. We're becoming more like Him. Whenever you are born again, there's a striking family family resemblance between you and your Heavenly Father. Amen? Some of you have walked into a room before and immediately be able to spot somebody and say, well, I know whose kid that is right there. Amen? They just mark them. You can look at them and you know immediately the family resemblance. Amen? You and I ought to have a family resemblance to God, a likeness to God. We read it this morning. uh, 1 John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And so my future destiny is perfection. Say perfection. The goal is perfection. When God is finished with me, I will be like Jesus. That's the goal. That is my future destination. There will be a day when God finishes the work he began in me and I will stand before him on the day of his appearing. I will stand before him at his throne on the last day and I will be like my Savior, the Lord Jesus. Oh, praise God. That is his promise to every child of God. As we walk with God and pursue the way of God, we grow. And there will be a day when he finishes what he started. Paul says, I am persuaded that he is able to finish the good work that he began. He who started the work will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? My destiny as a child of God is to... Romans 8.29 says that every believer is predestined to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. God is not as committed to my comfort as He is to my Christ-likeness. Amen? And so if God has to shake things up in my life to make me like Jesus, He will do it. Because I am committed to my comfort but he is committed to my character. And he is going to grow us up into the image of his Son. Amen? Amen. Amen. You don't have to amen. He's going to do it anyway. You're predestined. The Word says so. He's going to do this. If you're a Christian and you walk with him, he's going to grow you up and make you like Jesus. Well, what about in the meantime? That's in the future. Well, in the present tense, I have a present development, and that development is marked by purity. Say purity. My future destination is perfection. I'm not there yet. Paul said, I haven't attained. I haven't laid hold of everything God's got for me yet. But I'm pressing toward it. I'm straining toward it with everything I have. And what marks my life in the present is purity. Purity. I am not sinlessly perfect yet, and I won't be this side of glory. Amen? But I tell you what we can be. We can be pure. Say pure. What do you mean? Well, let me me explain the difference here. What God will do in my life ultimately is perfection. But what he does in my life now by means of the new birth is purity. He gives me purity of heart. 
Well, pastor, I don't know if we can really live a life that is pure and clean. Well, you better because the Bible said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So if you plan on seeing God at the end, you're going to be pure in heart now. Mm-hmm. I knew he was a holiness preacher. Yeah, I went away for a week, but not much changed, okay? Amen. Holiness, purity of heart. What does that mean? Purity of heart means my intention can be cleansed. My heart can be set on God. If my destination is to be like Jesus, my present journey will be marked by forward movement in that direction. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't experience some setbacks. It doesn't mean that everything goes flawless on the journey. But you ought to be able to see the direction of my life if you were looking at it on the timeline. When you see a young man and immediately know who his father is, you can say, boy, his father sure did mark him. Well, if you're a Christian, God marked you in the new birth, and you ought to look like your heavenly father. One of the evidences I've been born into God's family is an increasing family likeness. God's children bear an ever-increasing resemblance to their father the further they walk. Now, hearts can be pure. What do you mean, pastor? God expects us to be faithful and loyal to him. That doesn't mean we're sinlessly perfect, but it does mean that our hearts are pure. I've explained it like this before. There are many ways in which I fail as a husband, I'm sure, on a weekly basis. And if you don't believe it, I could invite Shade to take about 30 seconds, and right off the top of her head, she could name you several. Amen. However, thankfully for me, none of those things are divorceable offenses. Amen. They're not things that would break our marriage. They're not things that would break our covenant. Amen. Am I perfect? No. But by God's grace, I aim to be pure. Let me ask you this, though. How long do you think she would remain with me in this marriage if I began to entertain other women on the side? You don't have to be in doubt. You can look on her face right now and see the answer to that question pretty plainly. Amen? Amen. Not as long as it took water to get hot. Amen? Amen. Let me tell you something. It's the same way with the Lord Jesus. Whenever we preach about holiness, we're not calling you to a sinless perfection that is not possible this side of heaven. We are calling you to a purity, a loyalty, a faithfulness, a devotion that can and ought to be experienced by the people of God this side of heaven. I'm not saying you never drop your socks or you always remember trash day, but I am saying you can be faithful and loyal and not be stepping out and giving your heart to other lovers. How much faithfulness does God have a right to expect from people who are married to him? Well, how much faithfulness does your spouse expect out of you? I imagine 100%, right? Amen. No off days on keeping our marriage vow. No off days on keeping our vow to our Savior. Purity is what God calls us to. Amen. Mm, it's quiet in the holiness church. That's all right. I know I'm preaching. That's verses 1 to 3. Let's hit verses 4 to 9 and really make you nervous. All right? The second mark of a child of God is liberation from sin. Say liberation. I'm growing in likeness to God. Eventually I'll be perfect. In the meantime, I can be pure by the grace of God. And it is marked by liberation from sin. This family resemblance shows up in the quality of my moral life. A forsaking of my old life of sin. Beginning new patterns of obedience to God. And this is where we get into these very difficult verses of of chapter 3, verses 4 to 9. Where he says things like, you know, if you sin, you're of the devil. 
And those who are born of God don't sin. And immediately all of us are in the room and we get nervous because we're like, wow, that's a pretty tight standard. And if you're honest, you'd say, I know that I don't meet that standard. Does that mean that I'm not saved or I'm not born of God? Well, let's get our feet wet in these difficult verses for a moment. Before we are saved, we sinned because we were sinners. Sin holds an uncontrollable power over us because of our fallen nature that we inherited from Adam. But when we are born again, the uncontrollable power of sin is broken. Before the new birth, we could not help but sin. Now, although we may sin, we have the newfound ability to not sin. The power of sin is broken, and if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you don't have to do the things you used to do. You don't have to. The uncontrollable, addictive power of sin is broken in the life of a Christian. Where do you get that from? Right here. We just read it. Romans 6 is another place we get it. You are not under the law, but under grace. Do not give the members of your body to be slaves of sin because you're not under the law, but under grace. You've died and you've been set free from the power of sin, Paul says. I don't have to live the way I used to live. Jesus said in John 8, whoever sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. That's real freedom, freedom from sin. But the verb does not sin in 1 John 3, let's unpack that. It is a present tense verb. Say present tense. Here he goes with the Greek again. Well, once in a while it matters. And this is one of those places where it matters a lot. In the Greek, a present tense verb implies continuous action in the present. You will notice another phrase in this passage. It says, he who practices righteousness. Say practices. That's a present tense verb too. The idea in the passage is this. What John is not saying is a believer cannot sin or he never commits an act of sin. What he is talking about is this. The practice of our life, the ongoing habit of our life, the overall direction of our life, if you look at it, is simple. We don't live the way we used to live. We don't continue living in sin as pattern and practice. We don't continue living in tracts of sin that we've repented of before we met the Lord. There is a freedom from those uncontrollable things. That is where we are today. The point is that is not that a believer never commits an act of sin. In fact, we know that he does. Because in 1 John 2, the previous chapter, he said, I'm writing these things to you that you don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. Amen? Why? Because John knew that there'd be moments when even believers commit acts of sin. And you don't have to read 1 John to know it. You can look over your life between now and yesterday and probably figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. Don't make me put up a mic and have confession time, amen? Lord, all the teenagers would wake up if we did that, wouldn't they? Yes. They did what? Mm. The point is not that the believer never commits an act of sin, but rather that sin is no longer, he's not continuing in patterns of sin. He does not keep on sinning, one version says. Another translation says he does not continue in sin. It is not the practice of his life. Do Christians commit acts of sin after they're born again? Yes, but these sins do not describe the overall direction of their lives. 
John's point is this. It is inconceivable to think that a person who's born of God, who received a new nature, who has the Holy Spirit living in their heart, can continue to live the same life they lived before they met Jesus. Even Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do, but he who belongs to God hears God's words. They do not hear because they're not of God. To be born again is to receive a new heart and a new set of desires. Desires to love and please God. It is a heart that has been liberated from the uncontrollable power of sin. A heart that demonstrates a new quality of life given by the Spirit. But let me say this. Doesn't mean that I never commit an act of sin. No. But it does mean this. There's a liberty now that I didn't have before. And there ought to be a growing and living into that liberty more and more the further we walk with God. People say, well, pastor, I just can't lay this thing down. That means that I'm saved, but I'm not spirit-filled, right? Let me tell you something. If you're born again, you have the power to say no to sin. Well, pastor, I just can't. Well, then you don't need to get spirit-filled. You need to get saved. Say, what are you saved from? The only thing you can be saved from is sin. And if you can't quit sinning, you're not saved from sin. He doesn't save you in sin. He saves you from sin. That means you're going to come out of the sin. Mm. Yes. There's going to be a change. You see, if there's anything we're committed to as holiness, Pentecostal believers, it is this one idea. Transformation is what we believe the gospel is all about. He doesn't just forgive me to keep living like I've always lived. He breaks the power of sin in my life. He enables me to live a new quality of moral life by the power of the indwelling spirit. Amen. Romans 5 is followed by Romans 6 and Romans 8. Amen. We can live this by the grace of God. The third mark is this. Love for God's family. Say love. There's likeness and there's liberty and now there's love. Verses 10 to 17. Verse 10 says, In this the children of God and the children of devil are made known. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Again, there's that wonderful word, practice. You know, lawyers practice law and doctors practice medicine, right? They don't always get it 100% perfect because they're still practicing, amen? And Christians practice righteousness, amen? I'm walking that way. I'm living a new life. Do I sometimes fall on the journey? Yes, I do. Do I bat a thousand? No, I don't. But I'm practicing righteousness. By the power of the Holy Spirit who came to live in me at conversion, I am now doing my best by the grace of God to live a life that pleases God, to stop living in those old patterns of sin, and I'm finding the ability to do what I never could do before I met Jesus, and that is to say no to my sin. That's the minimum of what it means to be born again. But it also means we love the brother. Say love. Amen. The third sign of the new birth is we love the fellow members of God's family. The New Testament knows nothing of a me and Jesus got our own thing going religion. Amen. It's not in the Bible. In the New Testament, there's no such thing as a churchless Christian. St. Cyprian once said, no one has God for his father who doesn't have the church for his mother. Being born again not only converts you to God, it connects you with God's family. Say that again. It doesn't just convert you to God, it connects you with God's family. Listen, if you're born again, you're not a spiritual orphan. You've got a heavenly father. 
but you're not an only child either. You have lots of brothers and sisters in the family of God. And God intends you to be in the house of God, raised up with those children of God. Amen? Amen. We know we pass from death to life, verse 14 says. Amen. Uh, Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Anyone who claims to be saved but doesn't have a desire to connect with other Christians is deceived. If you love God, you will love God's family. And if you're born into God's household, you will love the brothers and sisters in Jesus. People say, it's not Jesus I have a problem with, it's Christians. Well, that's a lie. You have a problem with both. Because you can't love Jesus and hate his bride, the church. Amen. In the South, everyone claims to be saved. But half of them don't go to church anywhere, and that's not okay. You say, well, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than Going to a garage makes you a car. No, but if you go to a garage, you ought to find a car too. And I generally put my car in a garage. And God puts his Christians in churches. Amen. Since staff member at one of America's mega churches reported they had 20,000 people receive Christ last year. However, only 400 were baptized in water and about 200 joined the local church. I would argue they had about 200 people get saved last year. Hmm. Lord help us. It doesn't matter about just praying a prayer. Amen. It's just not about getting our ticket punched so we can go to heaven. Think about how difficult it is to follow up on people after they make a profession of faith. Well, it is hard to follow up on lost people. Did you hear me? It's hard to follow up on lost people. But I want to tell you something. It's not hard to follow up on saved people. Because if a man or woman gets born again, you won't have to beg them to come to church. Amen. You just announce when the services are, and they'll be there. It amazes and shocks and surprises me how we have to pamper these little cripple born-again Christians who merely make it into the house of God today. Brother Randy, I don't understand it. Amen? Uh, you, uh, Lord have mercy. I mean, you could run a bus house and they still wouldn't make it to church half the time. I don't understand that. When I got saved, I met Jesus at an altar. And the next time the door was open, I was there. In fact, I was there early. They gave me a key to the church when I was 13 years old because they got tired of me showing up 30 minutes early and having to sit on the doorstep. They said, here you go, son. Just let yourself in when you get here. Why don't you turn the lights on when you come in so that they'll be running when everybody else gets there. Amen. When they had revival, I showed up. Nobody invited me. Nobody sent a push notification to my phone to tell me to be there. The pastor didn't have to write me a letter begging me to come. Whenever they had prayer meeting, I showed up at the prayer meeting. Why? I wanted to pray. I wanted to talk to God. He was my father. Jesus was my best friend. The Holy Ghost lived in me. Nobody told me to read my Bible. You don't have to tell a saved man to come to church. He knows to come to church. He wants to come to church. Amen. You don't have to tell a drunk to show up at a bar. You have to tell a Christian to show up on Sunday at the house of God. Don't have to tell them. It comes natural. 
Nobody told me to read my Bible. I went and raked leaves and bought me a study Bible. Amen. I sat down with a highlighter pen and said, I'm just going to mark what stands out to me. The whole book of Luke is yellow. That's the first one I read. Amen. It's yellow. Because when you're born again, it all jumps off the page at you. It's not a dusty, dry book. It's God's love letter to you. The Holy Ghost speaks from the pages of that book. If you have the Holy Ghost, if the Spirit of God lives in you, it's not a dry, dusty book. It's food. It's milk to grow on. It's meat to chew on. And nobody had to tell me to read my Bible. Why? Because I got born again and babies crave the milk of the Word. Nobody had to tell me to pray. I'd get along with God and my heart would just lift up and I'd want to connect with God. Hallelujah. Men got me in a room one night and said, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Come join us. They prayed. They tapped me on the shoulder said, it's your turn. I, it wasn't caught. It, it wasn't caught. I got in the room. I started praying. I lifted my voice. I did like they did. And the next thing you know, I knew how to pray. I learned how to pray like babies learn how to walk. One got on one side on the other held my hand and walked me into the experience and I can pray tonight because the spirit of God lives in me and somebody taught me how to walk with Jesus but it wasn't hard ability to do it why I was born again you don't have to beg save people to come to church or pray or read the Bible you don't have to beg save people to give in an offering. You don't have to beg save people to serve in their local church. A church that is full of Christians doesn't lack for Sunday school teachers and Wednesday night folks in the kids department. A church that's full of saved people doesn't lack for workers because something on the inside says, that's my Savior. That's my family. I want to be a blessing. I want to serve. I want to help. Glory to God. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you the reason, the problem we have with most folks is this. They didn't get a, the genuine article at the beginning. You can't follow up on them because they never were saved. <laughs> Amen. What happens when you're born again? You'll have a love for the family of God, a liberation from your old life of sin, and an increasing likeness to Jesus developing in your life. Amen. Well, glory to God. It's just about time to go eat fried chicken. How does it happen? What is the manner of it? Two words and I'm done. The Bible says in Acts 20, Paul stood up and said, I have not held back anything from you. I kept nothing back, he says in Acts 2. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. I have kept nothing back that was helpful for you. I have proclaimed it to you and taught it publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and Greeks. What is it? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Say it. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. How does a man or woman get born again? How do you enter the family of God? Two words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And they go together. Well, I believed, but I didn't repent. That's like saying you've got the front side of a quarter, but don't have the back side of the quarter. No, you don't. If you don't have both of them, you don't have a quarter. Amen. These are two sides of the same coin. I turn away from my sin, and by turning away from sin, I turn to Jesus. To repent means to turn. It's to turn around. It's to change your mind. It's to change your direction. Repent means I walk away from my old life. I don't live like I used to before. Today, America's filled with buildings full of folks that are religious, but they're not regenerated. 
They've repeated a prayer and shaken a preacher's hand, but they're not saved. They walked an aisle and filled out a card, but they haven't been born again. How do you know? Because there's no change any different than they used to be. They've not met the Bible's two requirements for salvation. They haven't repented and they haven't trusted Christ. Repent, Jesus said. John the Baptist preached it. Repent, the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Jesus preached, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Peter preached it, Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. To repent means more than apologize. We don't just feel sorry for them. We change our minds and do a 180 turn away from them. We live a different life. To repent is to obey the command of Jesus to go and sin no more. To go and leave our old life of sinning. If you haven't stopped doing it or at least aren't struggling against it with all the grace God's giving you in spite of occasional falls, then you haven't really repented of it. You may feel sorry for it. You may be apologizing for it. But you know you've repented of it when you stop doing it. Amen. Hmm, is this a hole in this church? <laughs> Repentance means we quit. Hmm, Lord, help me. Whoever covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. It's not just confession. It's forsaking my old life of sin. Proverbs 28 and 13. Thousands of people sit on church pews and falsely believe they're right with God because they signed a card, prayed a prayer, joined a church, got baptized, went down a dry center and came up a wet center. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't care how many cards they sign. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. When you get saved, not only do you get justified, but you get changed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can't have it both ways. We can't serve two masters. We can't walk two directions at the same time. We're either on the broad road that leads to death or the narrow road that leads to death. Now you can stumble on the road to heaven. But you can't be walking the road to heaven and hell at the same time. Repent. Pick a route. We're either going to serve the Lord or we're not. But we don't need to deceive ourselves and play games. Amen. Number two, we believe. Say believe. Repent and then believe. We turn away from sin, but we have to turn to Jesus. Believe the gospel. John 1 and 12, as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. Acts 16, Paul told the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Saving faith, though, is more than just saying, I agree with the facts of the gospel. Saving faith is more than just admitting that the facts are true. James 2.19 says even the devil does that. Well, I believe that Jesus is God's son, so does the devil, and he's going to hell. Well, I believe that Jesus rose again. So does the devil, and he's still not saved. Well, I believe that Jesus is coming back one day. So does the devil, and it's not going to be good for him when Jesus shows up. And it's not going to be for you either. 
far as you've made it, you haven't made it very far. It's not enough to believe the facts. We must trust in Jesus. We must be leaning on Christ. We must be depending on the grace of God to rescue us from our sin. Saving faith is not believing that it is intellectually true. That's only a small part of it. When you are drowning and somebody throws you a life preserver, believing that it will keep you afloat is only the first 10% of what you've got to do. You've got to believe it enough to grab hold to it and keep a grip on it. That is what it means to exercise your faith. That's what it means to trust in Christ. Sign a card saying, I believe Jesus is a lifesaver. To trust in Jesus means you have got a grip on Christ and he's got a grip on you and you know he's the only thing holding you up in this world. Are you trusting Jesus? Are you experiencing freedom from sin? Saving faith means trusting Him with all of our heart, clinging to Him as Savior, relying on His death and resurrection as the only hope of being forgiven and made right with God. And the proof that we've trusted Him is that we follow Him and that we obey Him. If you're not following Jesus as Master, you are not trusting Him as Savior. Say that with me. If you are not following Jesus as Master, you are not trusting Him as Savior. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. Jesus didn't say, just believe in me or sign a card. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. The call to salvation is follow me, Jesus said. Follow me. Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And I don't mean you on Twitter. That's not a follower. I mean you try your best to model your manner of life after his manner of life in the word. And if you're born again, you found that although you couldn't do that before, now you're able to start doing that and you get better and better at it the further you go along. Because his DNA is in you. You're born of the Spirit. His desire is there. Ability is there. And you can now do what you could not do before you met Christ. Are you saved today? Have you been born again? Has the Spirit of God come to live in your heart? Has He broken the uncontrollable power of sin in your life and made you new? Has He given you a new heart with a new set of desires? Has you change in your life since you profess to be saved? Do you love God's family? Are you an active participant in your local church? Do you have a genuine love for your fellow Christian? Do you have a burning desire to be in God's house? Do you love the brethren? Have you repented of your sins? Not just confessed them, but forsaken them, given them up to follow Christ. When you do sin, what is your response to that sin? Is it to dismiss it and say it's no big deal? Or does it break your heart now when you sin? Do you immediately come back to Christ? Ask Him to forgive you. Confess, return to the path of obedience as quickly as you can. What are you counting on today for salvation? What are you trusting in, clinging to? Are you relying fully on Jesus as Savior? You must be born again. How? Repent and believe the gospel. Confess. Forsake. Give up your old life of sin. Cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness. Trust in the blood of Jesus and ask Him to change you. And cry out to God in faith until you know that He's done what you've asked Him to. You see, you'll never go any further 
in the walk, your walk with God until you make the first step right. Are you saved today? Are you really born again? Do you have confidence in your heart? Does the Holy Spirit witness whisper down in your heart, yes, I know I'm forgiven. I know my sins are forgiven. I know my heart is right with God. Do you have that inner whisper of the Holy Ghost that says yes? Do you have peace with God because of your faith in Jesus? If you don't, if this message has troubled you and disturbed you, then you need to come and pray. It's real simple. Let me make it real easy for you today. If this message encouraged you and blessed you and you say, yes, 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 then sing and rejoice with us this morning. But if there's something on the inside of you that says, oh my, oh me, oh I don't know about that, oh I'm not sure about that, oh I, I don't know if that describes me or not, well I, I'm not really too clear on that one either, then let me make it plain for you. You need to come and you need to pray. This is not a, a hope so, think so, maybe so kind of salvation. The Bible says we can know that we've passed from death to life. We can know that we're saved because we've turned away from our sin. We've trusted Jesus and we love the people of God. That's the marks of the new birth. Do you have them? Come and be born again. If you once walked with God and you've walked away and you don't sense these things true in your life anymore, return. Return today. You don't expect the peace of God as long as you're living in your sin, do you? He's not going to give it to you. Return to Jesus. Amen. Every head bowed for a moment before we pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I know there's so many women in this room whose hearts have troubled them, and that's because your Holy Spirit has pricked them and convicted them today. So, Father, I'm asking you to do what I cannot do. I'm asking you to touch them and call them and draw them unto salvation today. And Lord, I'm praying this morning that as we sing and we lift up our heart to you and we celebrate your salvation, that Lord, any man or woman who's not right with God, anyone who doesn't have assurance and peace with God, that their hearts are right. That today would be the day that they don't hesitate, they obey the invitation, they repent and believe, and they come trust Christ. And they come get it fixed this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Friends, the altar's open today. If you need to come pray, take a moment. Come. Someone would love to meet you here and pray with you to receive Jesus. We're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. Celebrate your salvation. But if you need to be saved, come and receive Christ this morning. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.